This is Smart Women, Smart Power, a podcast that features conversations with some of the world's most powerful women. Don't believe that there is only one way to get to what you want to accomplish. We feature women who are breaking barriers and shaping the future of foreign policy, national security, international business, and development. I'm Beverly Kirk, the director of the Smart Women, Smart Power Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington. The way we look at cybersecurity needs an overhaul. That's according to national security expert and business leader Neil Sharoni. She spent decades in senior government and private sector positions in cybersecurity and identified gaps in how companies approach cybersecurity. That led her to start her own company to provide a new way of preventing cyber attacks. I talked to Neil about her company's work and what individuals and businesses should do to protect themselves online during the COVID-19 pandemic. Neil Sharoni, thank you so much for being here on the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. Thrilled to have you here. Thank you. First, let's start with your company, Trinity Cyber. You've said you've started it to, or that you did start it, to redefine how we look at cybersecurity. So how should we look at cybersecurity? Well, I started Trinity Cyber really out of a sense of frustration. So I started working in cyber back in what we refer to as those early days, the early 2000s, and continued to work in it up until recently, or up until now, actually. And one of my frustrations was that we were taking the same approach to addressing cybersecurity today that we were in 2001. And in many ways, I found that frustrating, right, to see the same problems occurring, the same discussions occurring without really any progress. And a realization that we were spending so much time working around the issues of response and recovery and finding cyber incidents after they've already occurred versus really focusing on prevention and how would we prevent a cyber attack. And so for me, uh, we started Trinity Cyber out of a sense of frustration. Um, From my time in government, I knew that there was an ability to actually prevent some of these attacks. No one was doing that. And let's dive a little deeper because you do have extensive government service uh, at the White House and Homeland Security Council, and then you worked as a senior executive in the defense industry and the private sector. So let's dive into some of those problems that you identified in terms of, of, of not preventing, always being reactive, if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly. Right. You know, cybersecurity has evolved somewhat over the years uh, as we've learned more and more, but our approach to response is what has remained the same. So as you see an increase in what I would refer to as the volume, velocity, and variety of attacks, our responses remained for all intents and purposes the same. And it was a focus on how quickly do we identify an intrusion has occurred, remediate that, or recover from that instead of focusing on how we would actually prevent it and really trying to understand the methodology that an adversary uses instead of focusing on um, an IP address or a hash that is the result of the intrusion. And so during my time, I watched as we were able to more quickly address the threat. And so getting that time between identifying an intrusion to responding to be shorter and shorter and shorter But taking the lessons learned from the physical world, it was my desire to really focus on how do we prevent? So how do we move to actually preventing these things from occurring and figuring out how we would stop the bad guys? 
and how do we stop the bad guys? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. You know, um, I don't believe that there is a silver bullet, so to speak, that'll suddenly address everything. But moving towards an approach in which you're focused on prevention. So in other words, focused on finding a ways to intercept the methodology that a hacker uses instead of focusing on recovery, in my opinion, was the right way to go about it. And your company works in this space. So can you talk a little bit more about how you think about emerging technology and how does your company actually do this? Or is this a trade secret you can't share unless we hire you to come work for us? So I'll keep the details on exactly how we do what we do, um, obviously, as a trade secret. But let me address your question about emerging technology. I think, um, you know, I've spent years working in emerging technology. I find how we change and alter and innovate fascinating. And any good company looks to innovative technologies, emerging technologies to help them, right? Forward-leaning companies, companies that want to find different ways to achieve their goals, their business goals, their business desires, are companies that are willing to accept and embrace emerging technologies. But in embracing emerging technologies and being adaptive, you also have to consider the security implications of bringing them in. And so when we started Trinity Cyber, one of the other premises was making sure that whatever approach we took to cybersecurity was one that was adaptive, but could also work across all of the different protocols. And so in other words, not trying to be something that is very, very specific against web or against an email threat, but being able to protect against the spectrum, which allows you the ability to flex and to grow and to change with emerging technologies. How do you think that, uh, I know we're going to talk about uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic uh, a little bit later in the conversation, but up front, since we're talking about emerging technology, how do you think it can impact what we're seeing here in the, in the pandemic? You know, as, as horrible as the pandemic is, this is one of the areas where I think we're seeing positive impacts. So people are willing to embrace some of the emerging technologies because quite frankly, we need to. And so whether it is relying on 3D printing, whether it is the open source sharing of different types of approaches, whether it's using AI to better predict some of the models, I think you're seeing the positive aspect of us embracing technologies and how technologies can help us solve problems more quickly. And that to me is a fantastic thing. Before you started your company, as I mentioned, you worked in the private sector and you also had extensive experience working in government. I want to ask you about what you learned in those positions that informs what you do today with your company. Sure. I really think that each role that you have builds upon itself. And so let me talk about both of them because there were lessons that I learned in government and lessons that I learned in the private sector um, that have been key to me being a successful entrepreneur. So in the government, I learned a lot about coalition building and some of the things that I would describe as soft power. So what may be surprising to people is even though you sit in the White House, your ability to influence things really come down to your ability to persuade. So at the end of the day, the departments and agencies, they don't work for you. You don't have the ability to directly have them do things and you don't necessarily directly control their money. And so the way you go about getting a policy enacted really has to be through persuasion, coalition building, all of those kind of softer power skills that really wind up making a difference and when done successfully help create a, a fantastic outcome. And so 
when I went to BAE uh, and was in the defense environment, I learned to think about cyber differently from just a policy perspective, but from a business perspective. Uh, and that's really important. You know, uh, IT and cyber, for most businesses, it's a cost center. And you have to learn to talk about cybersecurity in a language of business. And what I mean by that is how an investment in any type of cybersecurity initiative will help that company achieve their business goals and achieve their financial objectives or help to reduce their risk. And when you learn to articulate cybersecurity recommendations, not as just technical recommendations, but as business recommendations, that's the key to being successful within any large enterprise. And so taking away the idea of coalition building, the idea of debate, the idea of understanding all of that, and then being able to translate cybersecurity policy and technology into business language, those lessons have served me immensely as an entrepreneur in the cybersecurity industry. And I know that you helped stand up the Department of Homeland Security after 9-11, and you worked in the White House on critical infrastructure protection, and you were there for one of the first real cyber intrusions that we saw here in the, the U.S. Did that inform also the way that you work today, that experience specifically with the critical infrastructure? It did. And I'll talk about how my experience, both in you know being there during the first cyber intrusion as well as 9/11, and then you know I was dead there for Katrina and Rita. All of those incidents helped inform how I see things today. And so let me start with you know the first real um, cyber intrusion that we were responding to. And so when I was in the White House, we realized we had some significant cyber intrusions, and the view was okay. Let's break this down and look at it twofold. First, how do we stop this? But then the second question was just as important, which is how do we position ourselves to ensure that this doesn't happen again? And to me, balancing those two questions simultaneously was really important. The other thing I learned during this process was we had multiple departments and agencies responsible for different aspects of cyber. And when you have multiple people responsible, they seed the cyber response based on their perspective. And so I would receive multiple reports about any incident. And it wasn't that the reports were wrong or conflicting. It's just that each entity reported on their own slice of what they saw. And it meant you had to cobble that together. And for me, it showed me the value of a common operating picture or understanding the environment from multiple angles. And we talk about a cop or a common operating picture today as if that's commonplace. But when I started this, that, that wasn't actually a, a, common, a common view in the cyber environment. And so understanding that you needed to pull together, together different perspectives and really put that together to understand a complete picture when we were responding uh, was important. The other thing I learned about that was that with um, multiple departments and agencies that were responsible for different pieces, in order to move forward with a plan for how we were gonna respond, it was important that we first agree on what needed to be done instead of focusing on who should do it. And when you take away the part of the discussion around who should do it and you focus on what needs to be done, you reach consensus much more quickly. One of the things that I see in parallel to what happened after 9-11 is that as devastating as 9-11 was and as impactful as, as COVID is right now, 
we are still seeing positive aspects in our communities, right? We talked a little bit about the emergence of technology to help solve some of our problems. You see people coming together in communities to help take care of each other um, and to help solve some of the issues. And I think that's really, really important. You're also seeing how important communication is and communication not only within state and locals, but up to the federal government and back down again. And the importance of keeping that communication going, I think you're seeing as well. And then I see a lot of parallels between what we're seeing today and what we learned during Hurricane Katrina and Rita. And one of the things there is around the role of state and locals versus the role of the federal government. And, and the needed tension that exists between whether that system of support is a push system or a pull system. And when you think about it, the federal government is responsible for making sure that assets and resources are deployed across multiple states and across multiple localities. And rightfully so, the states and locals want and are advocating for their needs on the, on the ground there where they are. And so there's always this tension around making sure that, that resources um, are provided, but tension around how is that pushed to you or how is it pulled to you and, and how that system works. The other thing I think we're really seeing, and I, I mentioned this a little bit in 9-11, is the importance of communication. In all three of these instances, whether it was a cyber intrusion, whether it was 9-11, whether it's Katrina and Rita, one of the things that has uh, remained the same is that the first reporting is usually not right. And I don't mean that in a negative way. What I mean to say is that in trying to communicate and communicate rapidly, oftentimes things get jumbled. And so it is very important that you make sure that you have a true understanding of what's happening on the ground and that as facts change, those changes are quickly and effectively and efficiently communicated. And it's all about making sure those communication chains remain. Lots of lessons that you've outlined here, and I wonder if you can apply them to what we're seeing with the response to the COVID-19 pandemic, because it's affecting every type of business. It's causing us to rely more on emerging technologies because we're all working remotely. We're recording this podcast from remote locations, and this has kind of pushed things to the forefront that were maybe bubbling in the background and used occasionally or even frequently, but not continually all the time. So uh, what are some lessons that we can glean from the previous emergencies that you talked about, Katrina, Rita, the initial cyber intrusions and 9-11? What are some lessons that could be applied today? Certainly communication, there have to be lessons that you learned that are applicable today because everybody's scared with COVID-19 and the information that is being given to people, you know, there are people who question whether the information today is going to be valid tomorrow as the facts on the ground change. So can you speak to that a bit? Sure. You know, you're talking about people making sure that, that the information on the ground as it changes, you know, that people have questions. And I think that's natural. And one of the things we saw in each of these instances is fear. And I will say leaders are often hesitant to use that word, but I do think it's the right word. And one of the things that, that I would just stress is the importance of remaining calm, as cliche as that has become sometimes in our environment, but making sure that we are accurately and effectively communicating what we know at any given point in time. And when things change, communicating that the facts on the ground have changed. That information sharing is vital. 
you know, as a side note, one of the roles I also had when I was in the White House was leading our efforts on information sharing with law enforcement. And I will tell you, for me, that was a very personal issue. I wanted to make sure that the lessons learned from 9-11 about making sure intelligence made it to the hands of our state and local officials and our law enforcement was key to me. I didn't want the lessons from 9-11 that we learned to become part of some report that got put on a shelf. To me, it was important that we operationalize the sharing of that information. And I think we're seeing the importance of that again today, of making sure law enforcement, emergency response, our healthcare system, all has access to information as quickly and as accurately as possible. You know, one of the things that this also highlights is our interdependencies within critical infrastructure, that no one of these sectors functions independently. And so we're all working remotely, we're all relying upon the IT infrastructure, but we're also interconnected that piece to our healthcare system. And that is interconnected to our energy grid, which is back interconnected to making sure that our telecommunications and IT infrastructure is functioning. And so understanding and appreciating that interconnectedness is important as we approach any of these issues. Are you concerned about potential malicious actors in the cyber realm trying to take advantage of the situation that we find ourselves in, i.e. communicating critical information to people about the pandemic and also the technology that we're all using to work during the pandemic. Yeah. So this is what keeps me up at night and I'll, I'll answer it a couple ways. You know, malicious actors take advantage of any situation. And so I think one of the things that, that we're going to see, we are seeing, we will continue to see as it relates to COVID-19 is actors taking advantage of it in three real ways. So you have um, you know, folks taking advantage of identity theft. So preying on unsuspecting folks when they go to a website or providing information or through calls, trying to get your personal information as part of this to steal your identity. You potentially have nation states taking advantage of departments and agencies on which we rely by either targeting their infrastructure or hoping that we're not paying attention. And then you have the general threat of telework, right? So the amount of volume of people working online really does stress our telecommunications infrastructure. And so we have to make sure that we can handle that demand that exists. You know, one of the things that keeps me up at night is the concern, rightfully, while we're all focused on ensuring the security and the safety and the support of our healthcare infrastructure, is making sure we don't take our eyes off of continuing to ensure the security of our electric grid and our IT infrastructure. Folks that are working from home know that probably for each person, their business has gone through huge steps to enable their communication, to enable their remote work. And adding that agility and that access at times is at conflict with security. And so making sure that while we make it more easily accessible, we do so in a way that is still secure is important. Something else that probably keeps you up at night, keeps a lot of people up at night, is just how this situation is going to change the way we work. And as people become more accustomed to working remotely and, you know, having their children at home where they are also online doing e-learning. I'm wondering how you think about how this is going to change how we all operate, but also along the security realm, how do we make sure that the younger people who are perhaps on the internet more than usual, if that's possible, but 
you know, working, <laughs> working on schoolwork, hopefully, but those have to be cyber concerns as well, right? Right. So again, personal to me, I, I have a child at home who's doing e-learning and I know we're all trying to balance this new reality. So you have multiple people in a home all on their devices um, doing exactly what we're doing now, working remotely while your child is e-learning. And so where you used to maybe very closely supervise your child's use of any digital device, right now you're potentially working while they're working independently online. And so that does create a concern. And what I would say is, you know, make sure you spend time talking to your children about the threat and about how they use their devices smartly and try to find a way to understand and monitor what they're doing. It does concern me. The other piece of advice I would have is knowing to be aware that people will use um, times like this to try to take advantage of you, right? So if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> and be careful. Tried and true advice. <laughs> right. It's the, I joke all the time, be suspicious by nature and be pleasantly surprised. That is actually very sound advice. As we wrap up here, uh, I know that cyber and tech are traditionally male dominated industries, but you're a woman who's, you know, one of the top people in this space. Can you talk with our audience or share with our audience about some of the challenges that you faced and how you've handled them and advice for young women listening to this podcast who would like to emulate someone like you as a successful entrepreneur? Sure. You know, being a woman in cyber and being a woman in national security, I've learned to embrace those challenges. And so I've learned to be true to who I am. And I know that that may sound cliche, but I've learned to embrace the things that make me different from my male colleagues, right? And so some of that we talked about a little bit with the soft power. And so embracing the ability to create coalitions, embracing the ability to work across multiple organizations, to really create that network that women do quite a bit throughout the rest of their lives. And so for me, I found that support, that coalition building, that networking to be invaluable. And so that's what's helped make me be successful. I've also learned not to be afraid to ask questions and to admit when you don't know. There is real power in asking the question why. And in a room where others are unwilling to admit they don't understand something, oftentimes that is the most powerful question you can ask. Why? And if you're too afraid to ask the question why, then just say, can you tell me more? And you'd be amazed how much that opens up in a meeting. My career advice for other women who wanna go into cyber or into national security would be don't believe that there is only one path. It is not a path where everyone has to be an engineer or have a master's in cybersecurity, but be open to multiple paths and be opening to taking a challenging role where you may not know where it's taking you. It's being flexible and being open to opportunity. I wasn't an engineer, I didn't study IT, and yet this is where I wound up. And so my one piece of career advice would be, have a goal where you'd like to be, but be willing to take an alternative path. And don't believe that there is only one way to get to, the, to what you want to accomplish. You'd be surprised what the little sidetracks along the way actually open up for you. Neil Sharoni, sound advice and lots of lessons in this podcast that are useful no matter 
where you are in life and what you're doing. And I am grateful for the opportunity to have spoken with you today. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you. Subscribe to the Smart Women Smart Power podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to good content. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Smart Women, and I'm at Beverly Kirk. Thanks for listening. See you next time.